Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher, I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And today, once again, we have with us our CEO, Naomi Burley. Hi, Naomi. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me again. So this is the first podcast that we were having together post the AML Financial Crime Congress 2023, Bridging the Gap. I know that uh, it will sound like we're a bit biased, but I will definitely say that it was a great event attending it in person. And I'm hoping that those who attended online had a had an excellent experience as well. Uh, so as everyone knows, we usually try to do a bit of a, a debrief of the event in and of itself and do some of the key takeaways. But, you know, it's such so much information is being launched at you that it's impossible for us to have a discussion about every single takeaway that was at the event that day. So I think we tried to narrow it down to a few key things. I know everybody's going to want to know what Ostrak had to say, or at least some of what Ostrak had to say. Um, we had some interesting discussions around net risk assessment piece and some of the challenges from a business side of, well, you know, what, yes, you have to make these obligations, but what does it actually look like from your business point of view and how you can be compliant with that in a practical and in a practical way that is, you know, to Austrac's expectations, but also meets your business standards and that kind of thing. And then, of course, we can't ignore the fact that we've had some major data breaches at the end of last year and at the beginning of this year, which, of course, has a knock-on effect for frauds and scams. And, of course, we, yes. we're seeing the d- development of a scam sort of prevention centre and all sorts of different ways. Yeah. So we know this is a major issue. So I'm going to shut up yes. now and just bring you into the conversation. No, don't, Kwame. We can let you do the whole podcast. <laughs> it's a very good summary. <laughs> so, I yeah. like your summaries. <laughs> so usually this is where I love the ball at you, Naomi. And I'm just going to say, well, from your perspective, um, you know, those couple of topics that we've mentioned there, you know, what, what were some of the key takeaways for you, maybe from Austrax? There was there was a lot of volume, I've got to say, of of stuff coming at us all day. Um, And as usual, Oztrack didn't disappoint. Um, Huge thank you to Leanne King from Oztrack for her presentation Uh, and very generously for those who were attending. She's allowed the recording to be reviewed because there was a lot in it. Um, They're obviously really, really busy at the moment with the. mutual evaluation because there'll be a lot of prep for that we think our audits are bad I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot of work being done there and um and the reform going on at the same time so in preparing for it and and what she spoke about when she uh came to came to the congress the the big takeaways are around the risk assessment still and this really correlates with the conversations we have in the AML discussion group especially new entrants to it, and all of the new entrants that we have coming into the AML professional space. Um, I have to say that we've spoken about this for a number of years about needing to recruit staff into this area because it needs people because there's such complex risks, but it is telling that the same people you might be recruiting in aren't quite across the level of sophistication you need for managing these risks. So they might be great at other risk areas, but it is a different area. And, you know, and this is why we bundle financial crime and AML together in the one day, because we think thematically there in this area, there are a whole lot of risks that you can't control internally as you might be used to in an obligations risk assessment. 
you can only train staff so much, especially if the risks are coming at you externally. But I think that there is a, a, a lack of applying controls. I think that people have coming into the space might read part A and part B and think, yep, we're all over it. And all we need to do is do the assessment and um, do some KYC and some transaction monitoring and report suspicious matters and we've covered it. But implied in all that is is managing and putting controls in place around your risks. Um, so I think I, I think Leanne's presentation on behalf of Oztrack was really well balanced with um, Carolyn Hansen's presentation later in the day, where she was also talking about the commercial imperatives in making those those decisions as well, and the realities when you're in an organisation. And I think it echoed the message that Oztrack's been trying to send that. Um, you can't just de-risk yourself of all these customers. You can't say if you get in the high-risk category, you know, we're going to try and dump you because the reality is your organisation is not going to do that. Some of them they will because they didn't make a lot of money out of them anyways. You know, they might do the commercial way up and go, yeah, we don't make enough money out of that anyway to deal with it. But there'll be other customers where your your financial institution does want to keep them. They're, they're specifically the customer they were seeking. So if they do that, then you've got to you've got to really take that on board and use all of the tools you have in your risk management and controls kit, rather than just hoping to monitor it and hoping to pick something up. Um, and I think there's I think there's a little bit of wishing and hoping that Oztrack is seeing out there. And I don't think it's coming, you know, I didn't want to sort of highlight the email discussion because I don't think it's coming from the experienced members who are in that because they're asking really sophisticated questions in that discussion group. Um, they're getting to the really pointy end of what do you do when you've done X, Y, Z and you still think this, you know, yeah. or, or whatever. So they're asking really pointy questions. But I don't think there are that every entity out there who has these obligations is actually asking those those questions. That's certainly what not Austrac seeing. That's certainly not what we're hearing, and that's certainly not the sort of newbie questions we're getting about things. Um, so I think it was really good to have the two to balance um, that perspective, and for Austrac to be have real clarity around asking for what it wants. Um, I think there was a lot of reliance in from regulators across the board, not just Austrac, using that risk-based approach language, assuming that everyone had the depth of knowledge in risk management to understand about those. But I do think, having observed lots of risk managers go across the different roles, there are some kinds of risks where the controls are very, very simple. And so when you get into a complex area like this, trying to figure out what the controls might be, that's really hard if you don't have... Um, some of that understanding and experience in this area. So you both of those, I'm, I'm labouring the point, but I thought they, they were really good and I thought they bookended each other really well because you got to the co commercial reality and Carolyn suggested some really practical ways that they deal with with um, with your high-risk customer. And I think that was echoed in some of the other presentations, you know, yeah. the, the KPMG one about how the changing risk landscape and this emergence of a professional money launderers. Yeah. So they're not the criminals themselves. They're mules, basically, going through your financial institution and picking those people up is going to be completely different. They're not going to come up in peps. They're not going to come up in a whole lot of other things. They look like ordinary people. They don't have the obvious links to criminal activity. So it's really interesting phenomena coming in. So that's when you need to get really savvy about what 
the transactions look like. You know, you really need to know this space very well and start treating them as a high risk customer and then start, you know, layering on your controls. And then when you get to your suspicion point, that's when you do your SMR, you know, so you've got to get there. Um, so I thought all of those really played into each other really well. And I thought the big takeaways were that you don't have to throw up your hands and say, well, what do we do about these people? They're high risk. You know, we give up. It, it is about, right, sit down, problem solve through this. What have you got at your disposal to act to genuinely deal with this? And if you don't have those resources or the ability to do those things, then hard questions need to be asked in your organisation about whether you can actually have those customers. That's when you can ask that question, I guess. But but there's a lot of space in between that, but you have to make the genuine attempt to do it. Yeah. And then I think all that happened at such an interesting juncture because, of course, we were in the middle of a consultation process, um, which closed two days later on the proposed changes to the MLCTF Act, two-part consultation. And of course, I think a lot of conversation today about that simplification piece, but also about the potential um, taking on of all those entities that have not been previously required to report to Austrac. So, yeah. Yes, you know, which which has big implications. So the simplification itself has big implications for the for the entities already um, captured by the regime, because that will change some things. But I think Leanne's. Uh, you know, Leanne's presentation gave you reinsurances that, in essence, what you're already doing is not going to radically change. They're not going to suddenly say, no, we want you to do something completely different. And it doesn't sound like it's going to become more prescriptive. It's going to stay a risk-based approach. But I do like the idea, you know, a lot of people have commented in, in different consultation papers that, yes, you, if you only rely, if you were an entity that only bothered to read part A and part B and didn't delve down into it, or you did delve down into it later, you might th- find things that you felt were contradictory, or that gave you uncertainty about whether your whether your anti money laundering framework, you know, met the rules and met the act. So I think simplifying that and tidying it up a bit will be very very helpful. It's a big piece of work. I think the other entities coming in. Uh, will be really interesting to watch. And I'm hoping that that contributes to making the job easier for reporting entities because there have been complaints since day one about some some company structures and trusts and, and you know, beneficial ownership being obscured. Yeah. And in some instances, not to not to... Uh, say that this is the case for all lawyers and accountants, but in some instances that's been a deliberate strategy offered by offered by some of those people who will be captured by this regime. You know, that's yeah. that's the way it's set up. Yeah. So hopefully it will discourage that kind of thing and makes everybody's job easier, including obviously Austrax and all of the all of the agencies that use that data, use all the SMR data that goes through. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting time. It's going to be a bumpy road, I think, for those people coming in. But I think for those who are already in the regime, it might be an opportunity to be able to get clarity around things that should or should not be in your program. So I think that that, I think there could be opportunities here. Yeah, 
And before we move on from Ostrak, I think it's also important to mention that it was said that there might there'll be two national risk assessments that are in the works um, that I'm sure will everybody will get a lot of good use out of when um, looking at their programs again and help maybe help them reevaluate what they how they calculate their their risk ratings and that kind of thing. So keep an eye yes. out on the Ostrak website for that. Yes, and there, I think for those we might we might feature it in the show notes as well. There was a QR code, um, so for those who attended, they got the QR code to participate in the um, development of those and yep. to be able to uh, participate in the survey to help them formulate useful questions. So um, uh, we'll try and include that as well if we can um, to get as many participants across into that and giving their input. Because that that would be useful, you know. You, it's those kinds of resources, and Austrac has been really pumping out a lot of resources that that are very very useful to those in industry. Because it is very difficult to understand the risks you face if you're a new entrant to these kinds of markets. You don't know how many likely money launderers will be coming to your financial institution to want to um, uh, use your products. So uh, those risk assessments and the data that they collect and the and the assessment and other guidance they release, they are really useful and they're based on the data that they're seeing, which is going to be much a much bigger pool of data than you can use in your organisation. So, you know, it's a really useful tool. So I know we mentioned Carolyn Hansen's presentation near the end of the day already in relationship to some of the stuff that Ostrak talked about. Um, did we want to talk a little bit more, maybe, because I know that her big thing was the, the maturity of your, your risk assessment program. Is anyone yeah. the abilities out of that? Or? Look, I think we can. It's a point I feel like I've laboured it a bit, but I yeah. think that um, that is the really important uh, piece in in uh, that I think is missing from a lot of organisations is they don't treat it like it should be treated. If you're following the ISO standard 31,000, you are meant to do a continual improvement. You're meant to go back and have another look and see, have we got other data that confirms the way we've we've rated this? Um, Do we know the controls are even working? And keep maturing that program and use what you have learnt about your own organisation or you know about the market or, you know, data that Austrac gives you, data that whatever other sources you have give you. Do you go back and check those high-risk customers and see if their status has changed from an outside perspective? You know, are they suddenly now being flagged by whatever sort of screening supplier you use? So I think that that is a really important point that Carolyn um, touched upon is to keep going back and improving it all the time and the only way it's going to get more mature is if you put the work into it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the the next thing on my, my bit of a radar, and I think it we I don't we didn't really sort of break down how we were going to talk about this in the podcast, but I think it's always really important to remind everyone that they're doing a good thing. And of course we had Dr. Andrew, and I hope I say his last pronounce his last name correctly, Mershonia, sort of talking about AML as a, as a public good from a macro and micro perspective, which I thought was was really good. You're doing a good thing, everyone. <laughs> That's right. I thought he was he promised he promised to make everyone feel really good about their jobs and what they yep. do. And I think he did do that. The same as Sally Irwin from uh from Freedom Hub. Yep. I, I think she made everyone feel really good about um whatever they were trying to do in the modern slavery area. So yeah, you know, again, 
this is why we lump all these topics together because a lot of it, it feeds into um, our value system. The value system that your organisation participates in and the goodwill it participates in to be able to run its business as well. So there's a bit of quid pro quo with a lot of these regimes, you know, modern slavery, um, the uh, anti-bribery and corruption, even with sanctions, you know, that's 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 a really high level diplomatic response to something that you would think, why are businesses having to worry about that? Because we've got this social context where we say we don't approve of this behaviour and so we are going to act accordingly, you know, to to discourage it at a high level and then that trickles on down to organisations. So it's in this kind of space that we're all operating and I think that brings in the frauds and scams piece because, like we were saying, once upon a time when we had that conversation, uh, you might have been talking either about internal fraud where your employees are ripping off yourselves or maybe credit card fraud at most. Now we're talking about whole-scale operations that are working to steal your customers' money and use you as the gateway to do that, either by you holding their accounts or, you know, your customers being the victim. So, um, that you know, we've we put all these in the one basket and I think um, Dr. Machernio was really sort of making everyone realise that we are a cog in the wheel of cutting cutting off these behaviours and the only way we can do it is by following the money, you know, the old adage, and stopping that flow of money. That's the only way you can possibly cut off a lot of this criminal activity because if it doesn't make money, they won't do it. They'll move on. Yeah. Um, so it's a really, really valuable role. It's a really valuable role that organisations play in resourcing uh, so it's not just a requirements, but it, but one of the subjects he teaches at Monash is all around the anatomy of a scandal, an organisational scandal, and how all those things can happen. And I think given that we've seen that, you know, in the data breaches, on, on the one hand, you're very uh, sympathetic to those organisations who've had data breaches because it, because... I really believe that every organisation is incredibly vulnerable to these because you've got sophisticated people who want to steal the data yeah. or they want to they want to do whatever. But on the other hand, you have to look at sometimes the responses and the adequacy of those responses and how customers feel emotionally about those responses and think, yeah, and it's created a scandal because it doesn't seem to be all fitting with a good picture of governance and the culture and a level of trust you can have in that organisation when you hand over your money or your data. And, you know, and data is obviously now a currency in itself because it wouldn't be stolen if it wasn't worth something yeah. to somebody somewhere. So organisations are now holding on to two valuable things and I think that trust, culture, and, uh, you know, values conversation around organisations is even more important than it ever was. And this is where this all plays into. You might think, oh, it'd be really nice if we could stop modern slavery, but taking a long, hard look at how your organisation might be accidentally participating in that and perpetuating it yep. is a really tough ask. But I think the day emphasised what a necessary task it is. Yeah. So, yeah. They they all fit in they all fit in those similar places. Same, same with bribery and corruption. You might think, well, who's being harmed in this? Yeah. Well, your organisation's being harmed, and the culture and the values and the trust in your organisation is being harmed. 
yeah. at the end of the day. So it's everybody in compliance knows once those kinds of behaviours are going on in part of the organisation and they're visible within the organisation or known even, then what's to stop somebody going, well, they can do that, then I can do X, Y, Z. And then it's it's sort of, it really um, causes the, the culture and the, the value system to be undermined. And you've mentioned frauds and scams a few times, so it might be worth sort of jumping a little bit into that presentation. The Their slides are really good. They sort of gave us an, a nice little rubric and some diagrams about, you know, all the sort of intersecting regulatory areas. Um, it did, it did. So um, Alan's very generously supplied everyone who came along with what they're calling a placemat. Yeah. And I am thinking of laminating it and keeping it there so I can remember it all because it was it was fascinating and and it really uh, articulated very well what we've been observing. Every single regulator is having conversations about frauds and scams on yep. different levels and their expectations about how organisations will be combating these. Yep. And it all seems really informal, but the way they teased it out was really around there are actually some very concrete requirements, yep. um, especially down the pointy end um, in common law and in the Corps Act, yep. but there are some broad expectations as they flow through in your prudential requirements, yeah, um, yeah. in anti-money laundering, and uh, you know it, there is um, and there is a criminal element to it as well. So I thought it was really nice to pull that out because we've talked about this, and a lot of organisations talk about it with really good intent and some of the some of the banks have some really great programs you know that, that they're publicizing out to customers but a bit like data privacy I really think this is the one that yeah. financial institutions want to be on the front foot of yeah absolutely. Um, yeah and really sending out the message that they will will be setting up some kind of framework to support and educate customers the the recent ASIC report really highlighted that there was a lack of cohesion i mean the big the big thing i pulled out of that was that there didn't seem to be an internal discussion about how as an entity the banks reviewed were going to approach this now that i might be wrong asic might be wrong but that's not how the customers are feeling that there is a one single message coming from these entities around this so i think it's i think it's very much in the watch this space i think it again traces back to those whole your culture and your value system you say you're going to look after customers and you know we all know there or everyone has the story about the customer who absolutely insists that the transaction be processed yeah. even though you are 98 percent certain that they are being scammed but there also needs to be you know there are other people who are also the victims of it who are not that not that exceptional story and they've slipped through the loop. So I think that's something that organisations definitely need to be on the front foot about. There is already existing expectations out there in obligation land that you can point to if your board wonders why you were doing this or it's not really your problem because you're not perpetuating the fraud. Yep. So I think I think, um, I think organisations should be grabbing that placemat yep. and having a long, hard look at it just bring back that conversation about AML and financial crime compliance as a social good. Yes, yes, <laughs> really is. And, you know, you, you do have requirements that they've given you their money in good faith. And so yeah. even though you might say, oh, well, the customer has the final say, they do, but um, 
but also you have said that you would look after their money. Yes. So it's sort of it's one of those <laughs> one of those funny little overlap areas. There's the point where you know you know more about the frauds and scams that are happening out there in the world than than they individually might know. So anyway, I don't want to preach to anyone and say, oh, you mustn't do that. Yeah. But it's but it's it is that 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 little overlap and it gets us to the same place where there are expectations um that need to be met and pretending that they that they aren't out there is not going to help your organization be prepared for when someone puts up their hand and says hang on a minute because it's a whole lot of um even if even if you are 80 percent sure you're in the right there's a lot of legal expense you know around this as well uh if you want to fight someone making a claim you know, yeah. it's, it goes down the AFCA road. That's a whole lot of resources diverted from your business as usual and your compliance business as usual if you could have headed it off at the past by having a cohesive policy. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to sort of cut it off at that. Yeah, that's, sorry. That's, that's all you get if you, you didn't attend to the event. For any other yes. one who's listening who did attend, um, you should by now have in your email, I believe, um, maybe some of the access to the recordings yes. to the event itself. So you can rewatch those and sort of refresh your memory and anything that you may have missed, um, as well as I think the slides are coming as well, or they have the slides already. I'm not sure about that yeah, one. I think, they, yep. I think they have that already. Um, and I think the other thing is that for those who didn't attend but were listening to this podcast because they wanted to find out, there will be more events coming out of this, you know, more single subject delves in um, because as much as we tried to condense it all in, a lot of these are watch this space developments, especially around frauds and scams. Data privacy wasn't the thing we actually talked directly about, but you're right, Kwame, it's one of those things that flows right into it giving opportunity for more frauds and scams. So it's just made the problem worse for a whole lot of people. Um, There's that. As the um, modern slavery changes and updates come through, we'll be discussing that a lot more. So there'll be other things that come out of this day. Keep your eyes peeled for those and join us next year. Yeah. yeah, so next year, 15th of May 2024, mark your calendars down. We don't have a theme yet, but watch the space, we'll have one for you. Yeah, um, well, def- <laughs> it might be the new AML regime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it may might be a little bit early, but you know, we'll have a better idea. Yeah, I think we'll have a better idea of what the maybe what the new AML financial crime sort of act is going to, to look like, the amendments anyways, and then probably have a better idea of those national two new national assessment risk assessments That's right. uh, which will help you with your program and as well as the new uh, the new um frauds and scams body yep and what they're going to yep. do yeah that would be very interesting to see what develops in that space and hopefully fingers crossed we don't have any more major data breaches in any critical infrastructure we'll see <laughs> <laughs> so yeah lots to watch in this space very very busy year coming up come along to some events in the second half of the year and we hope to see you there. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Naomi. Thanks, Gomi. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary. <laughs>